Welcome to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff, episode number eight. Lucky number eight. The Ocho. A full bite. You still having fun with this? Um, I wasn't having fun yesterday. Certainly not. No, that was uh, that was a bit uh, scary. You'll, you'll notice uh, a lot of the way that we, we talk about things and put ourselves out there. We're, we're careful not to uh, insinuate that we're speaking on anyone or anything's behalf. Uh, and we thought we were doing a really good job of flying under the radar um, until we got an email yesterday from somebody way, way up high saying, basically, uh, hey, guys, I found your podcast. Why don't you stop by my office because we need to discuss it? Yeah, got called to the principal's office. So um, we just got out of that meeting. We thought we'd record something because um, it looks like episode eight is going to be the last episode of Terminal Talk. Until episode nine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it turns out they're a big fan and uh, they want us to do more. So, yeah, and they uh, did not tell us uh, to go find other jobs. How cool is that? I love it. But if today had gone just, uh, just a little bit differently and uh, maybe I was looking for uh, employment elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, you know where I might start looking, Frank? No, where? Infinity System Software. Do you know anybody there who I might be able to talk to? It just so happens that I do. Oh, really? Yeah. Bob Mallett's the director of services. He seems like a good guy to talk to. I think it'd be great if we had him on the show. So so far, we've had, every guest we've had on has been somebody from IBM. This is uh, the first non-IBMer we've had on. Um, he's out there in the ecosystem, and he's, he tells some great stories about uh, what customers are doing with the platform and what they're looking to do with it. It's uh, very insightful. The neat thing about Bob is that he has really run the gamut. He was an operator in a large company, uh, then went to work for Bicom Infinity, uh, where he was able to not just architect solutions, but help move clients from wherever they are to start being able to use systems. And the stuff he's talking about is, is true modernization. I mean, it, it's stuff that any shop uh, would, would like to be able to do. A lot of his clients started out having nothing. So they went from nothing to having mainframe systems, which I think is is really significant. It's a really cool perspective, and we're happy to have him on. Uh, Bob Mallett's Director of Services at Infinity System Software. Set your reader to receive. You're being transmitted another episode of Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. So today we're here with Bob Mallett. He's the Director of Services for Infinity System Software. You've been doing mainframe stuff for a very long time, right? Um, yeah, you're making me feel old now, but I have been doing it for a very long time. <laughs> More than 20 years. See, it sounds better that way. Uh, okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> so um, what is it that you do? Let's start there. I think that'd be um, What I do now is um, we have a, a services team where we support primarily everything on the Z platform. And we have a team of consultants that we have at various clients. Um, we work under IBM for the most part as a uh, IBM business partner, and they subcontract us to go in and, and support clients. So we have guys that are doing ZVM, uh, ZOS work, Z Linux work, uh, DB2, um, CICS, and they help um, either just do day-to-day activities or if there's a project that's coming on where they have to do a big upgrade, um, something that clients don't do 
on a day-to-day type thing, but we have the expertise to help them, you know, get the upgrades done in a timely fashion and hopefully without error. Um, so <laughs> that's pretty much what I do. And I manage those people, you know, figure out how much time it's going to take to do one of those projects and uh, what kind of skills are required. So what person should would be best fit to go do that. So when we started, when we first met um, 20 years ago. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> uh you were you were doing operations for for a different company, right? Yes, I was uh, a project manager uh, or team lead, whichever way you want to put it, for UPS. Right. So. so, so you you know you think about here's somebody who's who spent the first few years of their career as a <laughs> in operations. How hard was it to kind of widen out to all that other stuff? That that was actually a tough transition. Um, because you have that comfort zone when you go to the same place every day. You know where all the libraries are. You know who all the people are. And when they just, you know, throw you in basically because I was one of the guys that was on the road. And so, you know, I said, hey, go to this client today and they need help putting this in. So, you know, I was sent out to PSE&G, um, you know, a few years ago. <laughs> and we had to put in – I was told to put in the Domino web server. And that that was easy. That was just, you know, a couple of tar files, pro them up, explode them out, make sure the security's set, and you bring up the server. Um, so I was pretty cocky going in. Yeah, hey, we'll do this a piece of cake. So then they hand me the CD, and it was for installing the Lotus Notes Domino server, which I never did before. So I happened to have the Red Book in my briefcase, and they put me in a room off to by myself, and I was going through the cookbook. <laughs> Step one, do this. I'm like, okay. And the guy kept peeking his head in. and how's it going? I said, oh, I'm, I'm getting there. Almost done. Almost done. <laughs> Three weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> a couple hundred pages left. Yeah, but that was another thing I could add to my resume. <laughs> put Lotus Notes in on the mainframe. <laughs> so you, you did um, kind of ZOS or MVS. It was MVS at the time, right? I started – well, 390, right? Well, prior, prior to um, UPS, I worked at Pan Am for five years. So now you can kind of guess how old I am. <laughs> what's what's but, Pan Am? <laughs> oh, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually started in uh, – I was a, a storage manager and then they put me into the systems group. Um, and I my first project was, into, was to install uh, Model 204. Which I don't know if anybody still knows what that is, but that was that was the database that a company wrote before DB2 came out. Yeah, he's not a new new person. So, um, <laughs> so uh, you your group t- today though does an awful lot of Linux, right? Yes, VM and Linux. Yeah. So how hard was it you know, to make that transition, right? To go from a and uh, being an MVS guy to a Linux guy. Well, I was fortunate because one of my uh, projects that I did at UPS while I was still in the, the ZOS group was to um, set up a huge Tivoli monitoring environment. And back then, the software that was on the mainframe for monitoring, it was before IBM owned Omegamon. So even though they had Omegamon, but IBM's big tool then was NetView. And to make any other monitor on the distributed side interact with that, um, there was a lot on AIX. So I got to work with AIX uh, servers, OS2 servers, Nobel servers, and I learned how to install software. So I learned how to do a lot of the commands, um, installations, do some quick system checks and things like that. So when um, I think it was MVS 522 came out, 
they that was the start of Unix System Services, which was a little hairy when it started, but um, <laughs> we got it up and running, and uh, it was it was pretty neat because now you you know you used to see these green screens all the time, and now we were bringing up web browsers that were connecting back to MVS at the time. So that was um, that was pretty neat. Are cool. you focused primarily in any specific uh, industry or area? Like, what grabbed your focus in terms of uh, clients to work with? Oh, that was never really a choice for us uh, because we were always just we were like hired guns. So it was like, hey, this this person needs help or this company needs help, and we would just go. So we 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 scanned everything. I mean, with city governments, uh, we do work for New York State. We're doing work for the federal government doing work for um, a lot of insurance companies. We've done work for banks. We've done work for foreign banks. Um, we've done work for uh, retail. Um, so we've we pretty much covered the gamut. On that. So, I mean, you're talking about a, a very wide set of things. We, we've already talked a little bit about the fact that you've done stuff with Linux and you're doing stuff with ZOS, even back when it was MVS. Uh, so obviously you do VM. You must be noticing trends, things are changing over the last few years. What do you see different now in the last, say, five years? Um, well, obviously, ZVM and ZLinux, that's that's really what's making it take off. And and not only from the, the customer side, but from a support side as well. Um, you know, there's always a concern that there's not going to be any ZOS programmers around because uh, only a few colleges in the area, like Marist is one, that they still – you know, get kids ready in college to come out where they can jump into a ZOS position. Um, I was at uh, Pershing, which was a clearinghouse, and they would bring interns in and show them all the different departments within the, the IT center. And one of those interns was sitting in the ZOS area where we were, and this one gentleman was going through, had to like just to install a simple product and navigate through TSO. And I kid you not, the kid fell asleep. <laughs> so, so now with ZVM and Z Linux, you know it's it's kind of slick, and they they're exposed to that in school. You know, like when they're doing learning a Java programming, whatever. Usually, it's on a, uh, a Linux platform or a Unix platform. They learn the commands, they know how to navigate. Um, you know, my my middle son just graduated a couple of years ago from Albany, and his roommate was an IT major. So I would have conversations with them, and he was into writing Java programs and you know doing simple stuff like that, and he really got a kick out of it. So that now being available on the mainframe is is driving interest from that point. So on the other side, the the clients, you know, the people that own these servers, are not having trouble finding kids, you know, younger people, I should say, that can do this work. So that that's what's helping drive it. So that's what the difference is: is more of a, a shift. Going from ZOS to ZVM and Z Linux, and is, is the change mostly that the the students or we'll say kids, the the <laughs> kids they they have they like yeah I know I know Linux and you can just add on top of that yeah yeah even my company we took um, some recent graduates and we had a lot of su- success with that where they were you know IT or computer background that they got in college and they really picked up on it quickly and they're doing an awesome job now we have them out in the field and they're working at customers so. That um, it, the customers are extremely happy and and the, and the guys love it, you know. Doing what so, doing. do you see that you'd be uh, grooming them to understand uh, some of the larger stuff, or is this kind of we what uh, they're comfortable with and want to do? We tried since it's it's so different, you know. What I, not so different if you're you know in the ZVM editor and and you know you're in TSO editor, it's it's somewhat similar, but you know the commands are obviously different and. Um, 
it just the, the way it flows then because when you're doing ZVM, most like most of the time it's to support Linux servers. So once you get it up and running, you don't have to do much. Where the ZOS side always needs a little bit more coddling, and um, that's tough to teach them because they don't, you know, really want to keep digging in that way. So that, that was my view anyway from what I've seen of working with the kids. So does this mean more work for you guys or less? Do you, do you see as as companies start doing more and more Linux on Z, do you think they have less of a need for somebody to come in to help them manage their systems? Um, you know, it's not nah, – it's. Mm. Hmm. I got to think about it a minute. So, you know, one of the customers we work at is the NYPD, and they have both. And I, I could say that you probably need the same amount of staff for what they do, but then you got to look into it. Well, how much are they doing on ZOS and how much are they doing on ZVM, and that is that why the, the staff differentiates? Um, I think it's kind of equal. So, you know, they have a lot – on the ZVM side, I think they have um, – you know, one environment they have, they always float around 300 ZVM guests to support production applications. And then on another side, um, they have a different application that they run uh, and there's about 30-some-odd guests that they run. So two guys take care of those, you know, 300-and-something guests. And, and and that's one guy could probably do it, but then, you know, you need someone to back you up you know, for vacation, sick time, training, and all that. And then uh, ZVM. You know, those two guys know it, and we have another guy that we're fortunate where he knows ZVM. He also knows DB2. So, you know, he takes care of, you know, he also backs them up, but then he takes care of DB2. And then, you know, you have a ZOS guy that knows ZOS, and then he also knows DB2. So, you know, we always have everybody backing each other up. I'm noticing a pattern there. Yeah. (laughs) It's, well, you're kind of forced into it, right? Because they say, well, I only have this much headcount that I can keep here. So you got to try to make all the technical skills fit. So what, what you need to support type thing. Well, and you, you spend uh, a fair amount of time at, at a lot of these places filling in all the gaps for mm-hmm. what they can't do. Um, are you seeing that change or, or are you still kind of doing a lot of the same? It's, of it's a battle that's been going on for many years now. It's the, the question always comes, should I outsource or should I take care of it myself? And we're seeing a little bit of a swing now where they're saying – it's too tough to take care of this. You know, I think I want to outsource. And the the thing we're seeing now, though, in the past, it it would always seem to make business sense where it would be financially better to outsource. Now it's kind of like a 50-50. It's not saying that, oh, yeah, we'll save a lot of money if we do this. Now it's like, well, we won't have to deal with the headaches if we do this. So I may pay a little bit extra or even if it's equal, I may do it. So that that's kind of interesting that we're seeing that now. Yeah, so outsourcing isn't necessarily a way to save money. It's a way to redirect the resources I have. Correct. So, so knowing that that hindsight is twenty twenty, if you could take you know where where we're at right now, if you could if you had a time machine that was extremely limited in that it can only go back ten years and it's only good for IT based stuff, no uh, sports almanac or you know rescuing, <laughs> rescuing people from a building that's going to catch on fire. Um, what would you what would you tell people like you know I I have this vision for the future here's what we should be focusing on here's what you know you should be learning you know going back ten years so you're saying to students or to the clients or both uh, to both um, well you know what what I I had a, a interesting conversation um, literally just a couple of weeks ago and it was one of the managers at a, a financial firm he said you know Bob he goes I I can't find this type of programmer and he says you know. 
back in the day, he goes, I would just, you know, go online or put a feeler out and I'd get 10 resumes. He goes, why did that change? And I said, well, let me ask you this. In operations, how many guys do you have in your operations environment now that you're grooming to make them systems programmers? He goes, none. He goes, the guys I have there, he goes, none of them I could groom. I says, where did you come from? He goes, operations. I say, you answered your own question. (laughs) So, I mean, back then, I would... It's not that it was happening back then because when I was at um, UPS, that's what we used to do. We, we had a pretty big opera- operations farm and then we'd bring guys up and have them work on all the different areas. So knowing that it's not happening now, back then I would say, you know, you got to keep this going because this is what's important. Right. You have to keep the pipeline going. Right. And then also going out to the, the colleges or to IBM, telling them to go to the colleges and push it more. I know some schools have it out there, but – I think it's somehow, and I don't know how to do it, just make it more prevalent in the schools where there's some interest in it then from kids that are coming out. It's kind of interesting the way you talk, talked about this. It's a corporate culture that has changed, that is that is feeding the problem. And I would say that's mm-hmm. not necessarily mainframe focused, right? That is uh, the idea of having people that you develop through the ranks of your company. It's not necessarily the way it was. Back in the day when Back we Back in the day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so so we kind of know what number comes after 13 mm-hmm. and uh, we know what kind of dates we're looking at right now. Um, I've always gotten really excited about the, you know, the, the mainframe hardware and you know, it's, it, I like to show it off to people and I like to know the numbers and all that kind of stuff. Um, by the time the, the box and, and the resources reach the customers – do they have awareness of the box? Are they interested in it? Like, I can't wait to get my hands on the next thing. Or is it just, you know, get my work done. I don't care what you're running on. And again, that's that's a mix. Um, a couple of years back, um, clients were always very interested because they were hitting 100% of the biggest boxes that are out there, right? And now that's not the case as much. Um, so bigger, better, faster, that, that kind of like dies out a little bit. Uh-huh. The smaller customers, you know, sometimes they don't have it in their budget. Um, but what IBM does is they get creative and they'll say that, hey, if you get this new box and you put this software on, you know, your costs will go down because we'll give you discounts or savings that way. So we're finding that with a few of our smaller customers. That's how we're able to get them to upgrade and do it. Um, Technology-wise, I mean, I haven't seen – a lot of things come out where it's like, hey, now you could do this on the mainframe or now you could do this. So that's the stuff that I think will really drive some interest on them. You know, I like, you know years ago we talked about putting blades mixed in with the, the mainframe and, yep. you know, things like that. They would be, wow, you know, that would be awesome if I could do that. And that really never took to fruition. But, you know, so did that answer your question? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, okay. Yeah. As you, um, you know, look across the clients that you're currently working with, how many of them are trying to um, do what, what we would consider modern computing things, creating services or, or trying to do machine learning? Or um, are, are, are any of the customers you looking at doing that or are they more, look, I just want these batch jobs to run or I just want? Um, so there are some that are doing it. Um, you know, there's there's one customer we just gave a presentation to uh, about two months ago, and they have a huge application. It's it's probably they said half of it with their businesses, and the application spans across a group of AS400s, a group of Windows servers, uh, Fujitsu Unix, and the mainframe, and they want to modernize that because they know that they can do it much more efficiently now because of the way technology's changed. 
they can now push data around a lot faster and, and do things. They don't think they need the four different platforms. So, um, you know, all the data resides on the mainframe, so that will probably be one that's kept there. But they'll try to phase out two of the platforms and leave it down to two. And the data gets put into this application by multiple feeds, and uh, most of the feeds are all redundant. So they're thinking if they rewrite this and they architect it properly and then implement it the way they would, they can make it much more efficient and a lot easier to support. So in in, in that kind of role, do you um, help them understand good architectural decisions or are you guys um, more perform guys, I guess? The way that... Well, if I have an architectural decision, I call you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we try to guide them, you know, to, to – Always to do what's right, but, you know, we're mainframe guys, so that's usually what we try to push them that way. <laughs> uh, we, we do, and, you know, what What we find is very helpful is that the briefings that, you know, IBM has up here, and then they also have, like, a road show that they do. So we just set up, I think, two or three of them in the last month that we had customers. I think you guys came down to one of our customers, and we brought two customers up here. Um, I think that's even better. A lot of customers aren't going to, you know, like the share conferences as as – at least I, I don't think they are. You know, I don't. Maybe the numbers are the same, but I don't see it when I've gone and, the, and I went to a few in the past year. Um, so I think that's really beneficial for them because they hear, you know, hey, this is what the new technology is, and as a for instance or an example, this is how you could do it. And I think that one on one, it really hits home more than if they're just going to a conference, sitting in a session somewhere. Yeah, because usually the conferences are are picked for their location and there are a lot of distractions, right? Well, maybe you do that. I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not for us, but the, you know, people are in the classes uh, and in the sessions. How, how would you say that uh, you, you obviously, you, you uh, work in IT circles and, you know, you deal with other people who are not specific to mainframe. How, how does the stuff that you deal with uh, differ from, you know, the, the common folk? The common IT folk? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The, the unwashed masses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think I think part of the, the problem is is that um it's the education of it or the knowledge of what it can do. Um, you know, the big misnomer is always like, well, the mainframe's so expensive. Right? And that's well, yeah, you're gonna compare, you know, an X eighty six server to, you know, a few IFLs. And it's like, well, yeah, of course the IFLs are gonna cost more, but you know, how much white space is on the IFL as opposed to what's on that eighty six server? You know, so you can actually fit a lot more workload, obviously, on the IFLs as you can. So let's do economies of scale. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've done total cost of ownerships and, you know, that kind of opens their eyes. But they still have it burned in their brain that, no, it, the mainframe is expensive. So, you know, that that's where we, we always have the battle. And what do, what do you think the tipping point is when you can when, when you've convinced somebody, OK, I should at least think about this? Um, it's the tipping point is is kind of like show me. Right, so we we do proof of concepts, and IBM's great with that. Where you know you get a loaner for uh, IFL, and you get a temporary license for ZVM, and you know we do it like in forty hours, where we'll send guys there, and they'll get the hardware installed, you know everything customized, the IO gen connected to the network, bring it up, and say here, and I'm like, okay, you know here's your first server. Oh, how many more you want? You know, and, and literally in sixty seconds, you know, here's seven servers. What else do you want? Yeah, you know, and we'll do it that way. So that that really opens their eyes. We. At the NYPD, we did a project um, where we implemented SAP on the mainframe. So it was one one box. We did four ZOS LPARs and we did four ZVM LPARs. And under those uh, ZVM LPARs, we built, I don't know, 30 guests. Um, 
implemented SAP, and the developers were very leery on this. They're like, well, no, you know, I, I need this and I need that. So, <laughs> you know, we, we, as we were popping the guests out, we said, okay, well, you know, here, start with this. And they're like, well, what do I do? And I said, well, just tell that into, you know, this IP address. And I said, yeah, but it's the mainframe. What do I have to do different? And I was like, absolutely nothing. Just Don't I have to wear that. a special hat or something yes. like yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were going to pass out the little propeller hats. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, and, and they were actually amazed. And what they really loved about it is that, hey, I, I just need a, a, a separate server for a second, you know, for a week. Cause I, okay, fine, here it is, you know. And it's like, all right, well, I got to do this and I need to back these up. Okay, fine, it's done. You know, so we were using flash copy yeah. to back up everything. And they were like, okay, you know, did you back it up? I was like, yeah. And they said, well, I just asked you. I said, yeah, well, I just did it. <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, it happened that fast? I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> There's no no proof like let me save you a week a week's worth of work. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's – and that's, you know, in my experience, um, because they don't know what they don't know, it's very right. hard to have the conversation because there's there's just – there's no connect point. You know, and you can't just – if I said, yeah, something that takes you five minutes I can now do in, in a second. They're like, no. Well, yeah. yeah. And so you're, you're always having that argument. Yeah, we did one um, – we moved one client from lower Manhattan to Brooklyn and put them all on new equipment. We, we set up uh, TS7 7700s. Uh, you know, DS eighty eight hundreds, new mainframe. They were using Sterling Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did is we triangulated the data from Low Manhattan, Sterling Forest, Sterling Forest over to new data center. Then once we had everything in sync, we broke the connection to Sterling Forest and we put the new data center at another location, same exact equipment that was in Brooklyn. Triangulated the data again. Once we had everything running, broke the connection to the primary. Well, we moved them into production in, in the new data center. Broke the connection to Low Manhattan. And just had them running back and forth. During that whole project, we implored them to get rid of hard-coded IP addresses. So they went to DNS names. So now they're at the point where they can shut down and bring up the other alternate site and run production for the week in four hours. They do that. And that's and something that wasn't even possible before. <laughs> <laughs> they, even when they were at Sterling Forest, because they never kept the hardware up to date, so they couldn't. They could never even really bring anything up there. They could bring it. You know, you could IPL. You could start a couple of subsystems and say, "Well, yeah, our data is there," and they would validate that the data was there. But now, so we took them so much further, where they actually run production in, in their alternate site for a week, and then they fall back again. It's it's funny because the, uh, we we've seen a lot of bad decisions made in the name of moving uh, in the name of cloud. And a lot of the stuff that we, you know, we've had Jeff Fry in here and he talked about some of the early stuff he did on the platform and some of the stuff you're talking about. It's like this is stuff that people are expecting to get mm-hmm. out of cloud. Yet people still see the cloud is over here and mainframe is over here right. and there's no overlap at all. Yeah, I, I think what eventually will happen is you're going to get the hybrid clouds Yeah, where you're going to see, um, you know, mainframe still at certain data centers. You know, IBM is doing the Z cloud as well, but – I think customers still don't want to relinquish that and they'll hold on to that and they'll have other parts of their applications running in the cloud. So we, we talked to some colo facilities and that's what they, um, you know, they, they have the hooks in to like Bluemix as well. So they can run some stuff at that colo facility and then also feed into Bluemix and, and they can go back and forth with the data, you know, through a secured VPN, which is 
is pretty neat. So I think that's that's where I think the change is going to happen with computing overall. You know, the, the day of, you know, there's my data center and I have every server known to man in here and that's what we're going to run. This kind of slowly go away. You know, they still may own the equipment, but it might not be at their location. It'll be somewhere else. I'd like to go back, if you don't mind, to... Um, How far? Uh, oh, I don't know. Do, 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 do. <laughs> we need some music. A young Frank sits in his dorm room. <laughs> Let's not go that far back. There's some bad memories there. Um, you, you said before that you guys come in and in 40 hours you you know show somebody what they can do with Linux on Z. Mm-hmm. Is that we show up on Monday with... Here's a box, and we plug it in and and go all the way up. And if if the customer allows us, yes. Um, sometimes the forty hours spread over like two weeks time frame. But I'll give you a, a for instance. We did it for Con Edison, and what we did is we replicated their call center and to see if the if the ZVM and IFL on Oracle can support that. We took the Oracle database. Um, and I think the application, I forgot where the application ran. This was going back a few years. But it was after Hurricane Sandy. So they took the call volume for that, you know, week. And they replicated that. And ZVM blew it away. I mean, the, the performance on it was, you know, like 50% better hmm. than, than what they had in, in their in their current environment. You, didn't, you can't walk in on one day. It's not like you can plug it into the wall like it's a regular outlet, right? Uh, well, no, but you know, there's a lot of planning that goes in, right? So it, it, there's all different scenarios. Usually you would not put a whole new mainframe in to do it. So if they have an existing mainframe, you know, the first question is, well, is it capable of having another IFL added to it or any I, IFL added to it? And then it's like, okay, um, if I add that IFL, can I also in that LPAR now that I create, can I get network connectivity and can I put a tape drive? So we, we do all that planning up front, and that's usually with phone calls to the customer. Okay. And if they can't handle the I.O. You know, configurations themselves, we'll come in. That's part of the 40 hours. We'll help them do that. Um, once we get that done, then we have to talk to the network guys and say, okay, you know, now can we plug this in and could you give us our own subnet or you know, can we just work off your network? How do you want to do this? Then once we do that, we just do a couple of validation tests and, okay, it's running. Here it is. Now we get terminals up and running and we're like, okay. Then from that point, all right, let's roll. So you know, once that's all done, you know, we only need like three days, and it depends on them how much they want to kick the tires, how much Q and A do they want to do, right. you know. But you know, we've have done them in in thirty two hours. So so in in those scenarios, um, do you have somebody there sitting there once it's all set up and everything to like, oh, I need a, another guest. Can you give me another guest or? Or is that done remotely? Or that, you, guys- you know, once it's up and running, um, it's always good to have FaceTime with the customer. But, you know, once you're there and it's going to be not a full day's worth of work that's needed, we do it remotely. Um, we set up a, uh, a small uh, airline company where they supported airlines, where they had reservation systems, ran all x86 Oracle, and we sold them um, a new box with uh, Solid State DASD and migrated everything over. You know, they, they struggled a little bit because they didn't have a ZVM person. So we kind of supported them remotely as needed. You know, hey, can you do this for me, do that for me? And and we did it. You mentioned uh, IFLs uh, a little bit. And I was wondering, you know, there's some people listening who might not be familiar with it. Can you talk about the relationship between IFLs and guests and uh, and how that works? So the IFLs is just part of the different engines that IBM puts in the mainframe. So there's, a, there's an IFL, which is Integrated Facility for Linux, 
Um, then there's general purpose engines. That's typically you can run ZVM on that or you can run ZOS on that. Then they have ZIP engines, which um, are pretty neat because that will run any kind of Java code or DB2 code. And that's important because when you're running ZOS, as you use MIPS on a general purpose engine, that's how they evaluate what you should be paying for software. So if you're running a lot of CPU cycles as that goes up, your software costs go up. But if you can offload some of that work when you're running ZOS and you put that into a ZIP engine, um, that kind of makes your cycles go down so your software costs are lower. So, you know, those are things that we try to help customers with as well. So the IFL will work um, when you create a ZVM environment and you have these IFLs in there. That's, the, this, that's similar to what a core is on a, um, a server, a blade server. So and that's that also how software costs work as well. So when you put that in front of a customer, it kind of opens their eyes to say that, well, if you have this four-core blade server, you know, you could run, you know, a few applications on it, and we put four-core IFLs on it, you could run 40 of those applications on it. So Oracle would charge you for four cores on that blade server, or Oracle would charge you for four cores on those IFLs. So the cost would be the same, but you get a lot more throughput or a lot more white space on the IFL side. Right, because you're expecting to run them at near 100% utilization. Yes, right, and that's the other thing. You know, with the monitoring tools, I mean, you know, I know every platform has them, but, you know, you could really dissect <laughs> what's going on in each of them. So a big part of what you do um, when you go into these customers is to try and help them spend the least they need to do uh, to get their work done, right? Um, you mean financially spend or time? Yeah, you try and make it as, as cost-effective for them as possible. Yeah, because that's, you know, every customer we go into, they all have budgets, and that's the first thing they say. is like, you know, how could you save me money? You know, and then it's, <laughs> selling consulting services is not the most ideal way <laughs> to try to convince them how to save money. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so but that that's what endears them to us is because we do try to find things to help them save money. And I think they appreciate that. And then that we do that as a value add. It's not a service we come in and say, hey, you know, hire us for the next, you know, two months and we'll show you how you could save money. You know, we just talk to them, work with them and see, you know, what, what they can do to do things better type thing. So I remember not too long ago you telling me a story about um, one of the guys that you have that is really good at helping somebody look at their, their ZOS environment and – and save MIPS, right? Because saving MIPS is equals saving money, right? Yes. I wonder if you could tell that story. Is this the one with the uh, the, the ID cams, the VSAM files? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ralph, Ralph, uh, he starts the meeting. He says, "I've been doing this for fifty-six years." So that's older than I am. Yes. So we're clear. Yeah. How much older? A lot older. Because <laughs> <laughs> all things are relative. Not. Not. <laughs> Well, it's more than well, six wait. months older. Wait, I was going to say, when does this episode come out? Because that might not be a true statement anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, so what Ralph did, he developed a tool um, over the years, and it basically just collects ITCAMS data. And what it does is it looks for um, un not properly defined vSAM files, um, often data in catalogs, often vSAM files. Because if you think about it um, – they, we just did one client, and we reviewed 1.7 million files. And out of that, 14,000 files came back as high—I um, don't say high risk, but just you know, 
could create a lot of issues basically because the, the way they're defined. So if you think about it like free space um, definitions in a vSAM file, if it's not needed, you really shouldn't put it in there. And if you do that, anytime an application is going to go access that vSAM file, it's going to check for free space. So that slows down the process. So when we identify that and we, we say this file should be set with, you know, free space zero, zero or no free space command at all, then the applications and, and think about the applications on the mainframes, right? We talk to clients where they say they have a hundred million transactions in a day, right? So, you know, multiply that by going to that same file and doing that. So if you get rid of that, just think about that little tweak in performance on what you will do and how you could save CPU. You know, if you don't delete a vSAM file properly, you're going to have remnants of that in the catalog, right? So the data, the file will be there, or parts of it will be there, and you can't access it. It's unusable. But if someone's looking through the catalog, well, the system's got to take time to check the catalog to see that that's there and then say, oh, let me try that again to make sure. Let me try it again and then fail and then say, okay, just keep going on. Something you really don't see in day-to-day processing, but that's what's going on behind the scenes. So what we do with this tool is that we identify them. And then we build a roadmap with that. And we could come out and say, out of these 14,000 files, here are all the actual names of them, and here's what they look like, and here's what they should look like. And if you do that, we could save you, you know, anywhere in range from 6% to 15% of your MIPS. So you do that, and one of the clients we looked at, they had 77,000 MIPS. So, you know, you save 10% on that. Those amount of MIPS could probably run a lot of the small companies that we deal with. Sure. So they could, they could just save that alone, and that's that's not a that's not a service you sell. It's just what you do alongside of. It. Well, what we do is we do that analysis for free, and then if they want help doing it, uh, if they want the blueprint, obviously the blueprint is a service they would have to buy, and then if they need help doing the work as well, that that's a service we can we can right. sell them. Uh, okay, so you know this has been great. You've you've uh, you've given us a fair amount of time, and I know your time is money. Um, cause you say that to me every time we get together. Well, I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> yeah, I've got, uh, I got a couple of bucks. You got a couple of bucks. <laughs> I think I got like five. All right, we're, we're golden. All right, I think there's okay. some pizza in the fridge too. There we go. I'm standing outside with a cup. <laughs> <laughs> so we're almost, uh, through, through the time with you, but, uh, but you, you already told us that, uh, you've been on the road, um, for more than half your career. You must have some great, Tales of the Road. Tales from the Road. Oh, well, this has to be PG rated. <laughs> I can. I think I can. I think can, I can bleep we stuff. We can bleep stuff out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, just, there was one, one in particular one I, I got a, a kick out of. Um, I was. We did a contract with uh, University of North Dakota, and we did that remotely. So we took them from MBS. I forgot four uh, three and brought them up to OS three ninety. Um, I forgot what version, 2.4, 2.6. And when we did it, we brought up Unix system services. And I, I always had – I love setting up like a demo website for them. And I would put in host on demand so that, you know, through the web browser they can click on and get a terminal. And, you know, a lot of clients always love that. So um, they were floored by it. And they said, uh, could you come out here and like present this to us and give us like a skills transfer and so forth? And I said, sure. And – Lo and behold, in November, when it was like going to Siberia in North Dakota, <laughs> I uh, I go out there and sat down with the great people out there. So I sat down with them, did the whole uh, skills transfer thing, and they said, "Could you give a presentation to the group?" So they put me in this huge um, you know room that was used by the University of North Dakota, so it could hold like 200 students, but uh, there's only a handful of people in there. So I gave the presentation, and um, one gentleman comes up to me after the presentation. He says, "You know, that's." 
That was amazing. He says, I, I love that. He goes, I could listen to you talk for hours. And here I am all proud of myself thinking that, wow, you know, I'm pretty technical. Those people want to hear what I have to say. And then he, the next statement out of him was, yeah, I love that accent. He goes, I can listen to that all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really want to thank you for your time, uh, Bob. And uh, just do a, a quick plug for uh, Infinity System Software and, and have you guys uh, – out and, and do this for us was, was really awesome thanks oh awesome I, i'll come back if you want <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll get another 10 bucks together there you yeah, go we'll start a pool <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to terminal talk with frank and jeff for questions or comments or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net that's contact at terminaltalk.net until the next time I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.